What gives you your self-worth? Your job, sexuality, gender, relationships, achievements? None of these will fill you. None of them are your true identity. That identity is a child of God. I'm Michael Rett, and this is Authentic Christianity. Welcome everyone to this episode of Authentic Christianity. I am Michael Rett. Thank you all for joining me. I've got a lot to get to today. We're going to be talking about identity and self-worth and where it comes from. You know, we, we all have things that we'll th- we think will fill us. Some of the things in my life I thought would fill me with being like really cool or being a great athlete or being popular, you know, typical things when you're younger. And we're going to discuss some of those specific things. We're going to talk, start off talking about athletes and athletics. We're going to discuss social media and the role that that plays in our identity and self-worth. Because, you know, depression and whatnot has been around for a long time, but social media, you know, as, as I'll discuss in a bit, has exacerbated the problem. We're going to discuss relationships, whether it's with a spouse, with, a, with um, you know, dating, gender identity. Um, that's a big, you know, it's, it's something that has grown in, in the mainstream a bit. So it's important to discuss and how we identity. I mean, it fits right in there, you know, our jobs, if we identify with our job statuses or not and, uh, the things that we have, um, basically what we seek validation in as opposed to seeking it, you know, solely in Christ. I'm going to flesh out a lot of those things and we'll come to our conclusion. I really hope this is something that helps if you're struggling with, or you don't even know who you are or who you should be or what your life's purpose is. And I think that's many of us, perhaps probably even all of us at some point in our lives. So start off with Malcolm Lemons. Malcolm Lemons is a former professional basketball player. He played in Japan for a few years. He was also in the NBA G League and he played his college ball in Niagara. So very good ball player. Just because you don't make it to the NBA doesn't mean you're not elite level. And this, this isn't just for professional athletes, what I'm going to discuss. It is also relates to um, any kind of person who, where athletics was a very important part of your life. And that could be, you know, all the way from even when you're little or high school, all the way on up where you found or you wanted to find um, and be such a good athlete that that's all that mattered to you. And Lemons, that is what uh, mattered. He said being a pro is what he chased in high school and college. And it's good to have dreams and passions. Um, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that. It's, it's good to have those things. What he, what he goes into then is the transition, he says, the transition from athlete to non-athlete. He says you lose the adrenaline rush and it leads to confusion and questions of self-worth and a lost sense of purpose. Specifically, he says depression in general seems more prominent than ever because we live in a society predicated on comparisons. Accomplishments and living a perception that our lives are perfect when they're far from that. You know, when you compare yourself to someone else, this person's better looking than me. This person's thinner than me. This person's fitter than me. This person has a bigger butt than me and I want that. And I'm actually not being funny there because there are different body types and some people want different body types. So it may sound a little funny, but it's not intended to be funny. 
But even however you're built, there's always going to be someone you think is better than you or looks better than you. And we all, each one of us sees our imperfections um, more than anyone else sees them. You know, this person's richer than me, this person, whatever it is. So specifically, we can look at another athlete now too, Simone Biles, the GOAT of women's gymnastics, probably the greatest of all time in women's gymnastics, just removed herself from the team competition in the 2020 Olympics, of course, being competed in 2021. Would she have gone through this if it was in 2020? We don't know. But she said it was such a mental drain. She was doing the vault in the team competition and she did poorly. So she withdrew and no one knew why instantly, but she said, you know, mentally, she just, she wasn't there. And she, she had said previously that she felt like the weight of the world was on her shoulders. So it would Simone Biles, as she now probably moves away from gymnastics. I mean, she might become a commentator or a coach, not having to go onto the, the floor each day, onto the beams, onto the vault. Where is her identity going to be? Now she has spoken in the past about her Catholic faith and how it has inspired her, pushed her to pursue her dreams. It's, that's something that she conveys to children when she meets them. She's written about it. She actually prays to St. Stephen. Catholics, if you don't know, they, they do pray to certain patron saints. They light candles for them. Steve, not Stephen, I'm sorry. Um, it's whatever the god of... Um, it might be Stephen. I'm, I'm blanking, forgive me. Um, but the, the saint of athletics. And is she... I would think going to be able to transition, maybe not easily, because that's obviously hard when that's all you know. St. Sebastian is the saint of athletics. But when that's all you know, and that if that's all your identity and self-worth is in, what happens when it's gone? I would hope and I would think that Simone, and we'll pray for her. I've already prayed for her. And congratulations to the U.S. women for winning silver. That's a big accomplishment. Will she be able to transition out of that? Is her identity in Christ? Because I'm sure there are many Christ followers, whether you call yourself Catholic or Episcopalian, Protestant. I'm sure there are many Christ followers whose identities still aren't found in Christ. So if we take a look at relationships, uh, men and women, I understand there's gender identity. But I'm, gonna, I'm talking about men and women. Um, uh, so according to Nora Wendell, she talks about some different roles that women take on to kind of seek validation in relationships. She posits four of them. One is a sick role. Women kind of always come down with something, always act sick because they want to be taken care of. That there's some kind of need, innate need to want to be taken care of. She says there's a caretaker role. I can fix you. This is common in uh, if a woman uh, grew up in a dysfunctional home where she was always trying to fix, you know, she was like the, the fixer, the one that kept everyone together. She talked about the overachiever, role three. That the woman thinks she'll be loved through achievement. 
Um, and then the rebel rebels and that, you know, to get attention. So, um, some other things that kind of come to think about, you know, women that are in relationships, um, if men that don't want to commit, yes, men generally do have more of a problem with commitment generally. And so the women will, you know, fine, I'll sleep with you to keep you with me, which just keeps the man further away from commitment. Um, there's also, um, an article that was written by John Lambie and Anya Lindbergh that talked about emotional validation, because I'm going to talk about how a child in a relationship receives validation from his father and mother, which is, of course is the ideal and all research bears that out. That child's emotional awareness is shaped by the mother's use of emotional validation or invalidation. Meaning if the mother validates the child's feelings, the child will be more emotionally aware of his or her own feelings. Or if, he in, or if the mother invalidates those feelings, the child has less emotional awareness. Mothers are generally still more the nurturers in the relationship. So women, is your identity, do you find that in your husband, in your boyfriend, fiance, even in your children? So for men, um, taking from a website called The Art of Manliness, which has some says some interesting things on there. Um, I know it sounds like you're thinking some like bro, some like, but it's, it's, it's not necessarily, uh, there's some things on there. Where I'm like, eh, not, not me, not for me, but there's some really good, there was some good information on there, an article written by Wayne Levine and from John Eldridge who wrote Wild at Heart. Um, he really came to prominence 20 ish years ago. So it talks about, the man who is worried about offending his wife, the woman, avoiding confrontation, becoming too passive, becoming a pleaser, especially in a church where there is an appearance that everything's okay and you're dying inside. Hey, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good too. But inside you're just dead. Because, quote, you spend an inordinate amount of time and energy concerned about how she feels, how she'll react. You've been rationalizing, compromising, second-guessing, playing it safe, avoiding confrontation. As a result, you've slowly forgotten what matters to you, what really matters to you, that you were what you were once passionate about, how you truly feel about issues, yourself and others. Meanwhile, if you're a dad, you're passing all this on to the next generation of your legacy. So I'm not talking about, what this quote is not talking about being disrespectful or lording it over you know, your wife or, or whomever. But it's talking about you should still be honest, of course, and vulnerable with your with your wife. You know, communicate well with your wife. It's more about you're so concerned. You're putting all your validation in her and what she thinks of you. That you're avoiding your own heart. A lot of this stems from like a father wound. See, and this is where I'm going to talk about how fathers validate their children. Boys learn how to be men from their fathers. And there are a lot of fathers that don't do that, that don't know how to do that, or that just bail. I'm not doing that. I'm creating a legacy with my son where he's going to know what it means to be a strong man, but also sensitive as well, because a boy also learns how to treat women from his father. So a question for men and myself is, is your identity in your wife, girlfriend, or your fiance? In terms of work now, moving on to work, 
Uh, according to the British Journal of Psychiatry, the report said that losing a job, having a home repossessed, and being in debt were the main risk factors for suicide. So if you recall, or some of you may recall, 2008, there was a big recession. It was called the Great Recession. And during that time, obviously a lot of jobs were lost and whatnot. The economy was in a, in a huge downturn. 10,000 suicides, according to this report, were considered as a result of that. And, you know, maybe that could be challenged. In fact, I looked at some research that did challenge some of those numbers. But anytime there's an economic downturn, it seems, uh, according to the CDC, from the Great Depression to the end of the New Deal, there was a downturn, the oil crisis of the 70s, and of course in 2008, suicides tend to rise. Suicides tend to rise. So why? You lose everything. Obviously, that's I've never been in that situation, can't imagine it. It's difficult, beyond difficult. But but if all your worth is is like your portfolio and your work and seeking that next promotion. as opposed to being in Christ, that's what's going to happen. Because there are also stories of people who lose everything and start over. You know, recommit because your family is your family and you love them and you want to do right, but your worth is not in your net worth. So is your identity in your house, in your job, in your car? The last uh, thing I'm going to talk about today in terms of identity is um, more what is in aligned with the title of self-identity. So according to um, several studies, the American Academy of Pediatrics actually and uh, other, other research that I, I saw, the LGBTQIA community, half of trans male teens in the study reported that they attempted suicide. 30% of trans female teens, 40% of non-binary youth attempted suicide. This is compared to 14% overall. So 50% trans male teens, 30% trans female teens. 14% is just overall teens attempts. And that's just high in itself, you think, 14% of teens. Some of you may be wondering why in a Christian podcast, or a podcast by a Christian, am I talking about the... LGBT community. Jesus loves them just as much as anyone else. And if you're listening and you're in that community, Jesus loves you. I am not here to condemn you. I am not here to get political. I do follow politics a lot. I have a lot of opinions on politics. This is not a political podcast. This is a Christ-centered podcast. So if you're listening and you're like, why is Michael talking about that? You know what? Then you don't need to listen anymore if you're just automatically going to brush someone off. Because what Christians tend to do, what some Christians tend to do, is choose the sin they want to be outraged by. So if they see a same-sex couple and then believing that same-sex, um, uh, engaging in you know homosexuality is a sin, that act of sexuality is a sin, what sins are they ignoring that they don't want to talk about? 
Because Christ died for all, and we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. This podcast is for everyone. And you can disagree on some of the things I say, but you need to hear how much Jesus loves each and every one of you. Because that's what's the root of all of this. So within the LGBTQIA community, suicides are exponentially, not exponentially, excuse me, are, are what, two to three to four times higher than the average teenager attempts. So many transgender youth experience uh, family rejection, bullying and harassment, or feel unsafe for simply being who they are, all of which are added risk factors for suicide. And I, I bold, I focus on who they are, and this is who you consider yourself to be, how you identify, where your worth comes in. Um, incidentally, 16% of, of Generation Z identify as LGBT. And Gen Z was born between 95 and 2010. So in the center, the Center for Health Journalism says, suicide is the second leading cause of death among adolescents and young adults in the U.S., Mounting evidence suggests the risk is especially high for transgender youth. In one of the largest, earliest scale, large-scale studies of the problem, an analysis of 2,200 transgender and non-conforming 9th and 11th graders across Minnesota, nearly one-third said they attempted suicide. One-third. More than half reported non-suicidal self-injury during the previous year, and, and, and self-injury is big in that generation to begin with. And nearly two-thirds, they said they had suicidal thoughts, which is three times higher than the rate by their um, cisgender peers, which is cisgender is someone who identifies as um, by their birth sex. So in 2011, a Swedish study suggested that, um, quote, uh, gender confirmation surgery and the like, quote, may not suffice as treatments for transsexualism and should inspire improved psychiatric and somatic care after sex reassignment for this patient group. So that was automatically taking, saying, the, the, the response to this was very biased based on what people, to this study was very biased based on what people already thought. Because the study goes on to say, however, the results should not be interpreted such as sex reassignment per se increases morbidity and mortality. Things might have been even worse without sex reassignment. Some of this is due to cultural stigmas because if someone has reassignment surgery and they're transitioning, they obviously look different than the most of the population and they might be mocked um, or, or threatened or harassed or even worse. So, um, but then the study also says mortality from suicide was strikingly high among sex reassignment per, uh, persons. So, are they more at risk? Or are they not at risk? More studies definitely need to be done. We do know that the trans community in general is at a higher risk for suicide and suicide attempts. Um, according to the guardian, some, at least some are unhappy after surgery. Um, a review of more than 100 international medical studies of post-operative transsexuals found no scientific evidence that, the surgery is clinically effective, but these studies may have been poorly designed. It's also very hard to have an ethical study because you have to have a control group and a control group. And I'm sorry for being so like technically technical here. A control group is hard. 
because you obviously know who's had the surgery and who's not because you can, you know, tell physically. So some people are going to say whether they think is that such surgery is very beneficial. Some are going to say, no, it's not, of course, and miss sight and bias and everything. So, but here's the question to the LGBTQIA community. Is your identity in your gender or your sexuality? But Jesus is not biased. Because whether you're in the LGBT community, whether it's about your job, your marriage and relationships, your athletic career, Jesus loves and accepts each and every one of us, every one of you, exactly as you are. Whether you've lost your job, whether you failed a test, whether you are unsure of your place in a relationship, whether you're depressed, anxious, whether you're unsure of your gender, or whether you've had surgery to change your gender. When Jesus began his ministry, we know very little about Jesus before his ministry began. We know a little bit about when he was a boy. We know about his birth, of course. But if you read in Luke 3, verse 22, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in a bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus validates, I'm sorry, God validates Jesus immediately. You are my son. Just in the fact of being God's child, there is validation. And each of us is a creation, a child of the one God. And the fact that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove is significant. According to John Piper, the way the Spirit comes gives a direction for how its power is to be used. The word dove occurs on Jesus' lips one time in the Gospels in Matthew 10. Jesus says, Behold, I send you out in the sheep, as sheep, in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. The dove suggests Jesus' purity, meekness, and innocent, not majestic like the eagle or fierce like the hawk, flamboyant like the cardinal. It was simple, common, innocent, the kind of bird poor people could offer for a sacrifice. This was a directive to Jesus from the Father. The spirit with which I anoint you is not for ostentation or earthly battle. What is it for? It's for something so simple and pure. You're my son. And then Jesus says, come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle. Jesus is gentle. I am lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's the true Jesus. That's part of Jesus. That is part of Jesus' character. He is gentle. He will welcome you as you are. All the other things we think will... Now, the things we change about ourselves, whether it's physically, whether we get a new job, because our old job is... is wearing on us yes it's like getting a new job i remember you know when i finally left starbucks and started teaching 
that was made me feel so much better because I was living out of my passion because God gives us passions, puts them on our hearts. We're living out um, our, you know, what, what God has um, kind of instilled in us as, as a passion, you know. So those things, some of those things in and of themselves are not bad, necessarily bad. But when all your worth and your identity is in some of those things we've discussed, when those things fail, and they will, because you can't work forever, spouses die, relationships end, athletic careers end, even, you know, a, a fully um, sexual reassignment surgery, I don't know if it can fully be complete. And that's also kind of an outward change too, because I'm talking about a heart change where Jesus is so caring and loving and just says, come to me, those who are labor and heavy burden. You will find rest. When your identity is in Christ as a child of God, that never ends. There's no failure in that. Now, let me just say, Christ followers, we have a responsibility too, to love everyone to see everyone through Christ's eyes, not accepting. I'm not talking about like accepting sin, whatever it might, you know, or, or, um, being enabling, but seeing others through Christ's eyes because God wants all to be saved. I leave you with this. Our identity is in Christ. And in that, we cannot fail. Thank you. Thank you all for joining me for this episode of Authentic Christianity. If you like what you heard, please reach out to me. You can um, actually respond here on, on Anchor. You could find me on Instagram at Authentic Christianity. You can find me on Facebook under the same thing. I would love to get your feedback. Um, if you need prayers, anything like that, share with your friends. I need your support and I thank you for your support. Take care and see you next time.